Welcome to Level 33, a podcast that explores a path towards better living. My name is Kim, and I started this project as a way to share my journey towards wellness, self-love, and purposeful living, and in hopes that it may inspire others along their respective journeys as well. Follow along as I share lessons learned and continue to curate ideas that support the harmonization of mind, body, and soul. Hi, hello. Welcome to another episode of Level 33. Today, I want to chat about the concept of trust. I want to shift our focus from trust in our relationship with others to trust in our relationship with self. I'll go through where the lack of self-trust might manifest itself, what self-trust is, where it might have started deteriorating, and most importantly, some tips I have on how to build more of it. As a reminder, if you like what you're hearing, show support by sharing this episode with others on social media. I'm forever thankful for the support I continue to receive, and I sincerely hope you enjoy our dive into self-trust. So where should we begin? Let's take the word trust. Trust is such a powerful word. We use it to describe the strength, depth, and magnitude of our relationships. There's a lot of information out there around building trust in relationships, how certain practices could help deepen your connection with others. Conversely, there is also content out there to address what to do when someone else has broken your trust or what to do if you broke someone else's trust. And while trust is an integral part of any relationship with another, it is of the utmost importance in your relationship to self. Here's the hiccup. How many times have you outsourced your decisions? What I mean by that is how many times have you been in a position to make a decision, whether big or small, and sought the input of others before deciding for yourself? Or how many times have you thought, and I put that in air quotes, about a decision but still sought external assurances? In other words, how many times have you surveyed others to help you feel better about your choice? Do you fear decision remorse? So much so you defer the decision for as long as possible. I call this procrastinating problems. Do you find yourself in a state of analysis paralysis, so inundated with options that you can't seem to pick one because you fear you'll make the wrong choice? This can apply to a range of scenarios. From something so small as deciding on a nail color for the next three weeks, to deciding whether or not you should go on a second date, to deciding where to brunch this weekend, to deciding whether you should start that side hustle, to deciding which happy hour to go to this afternoon. The truth is, the longer we spend analyzing, weighing, and re-weighing, and phoning a friend, the less time we get to be. And here's where it connects. What if I told you that a source of your decision dilemma may be rooted in self-trust? What if you have a hard time making decisions because you don't trust yourself? How much easier would life be if we just trusted our decisions and our vision and our ideas just a bit more? 
Now, I'm not saying that all decisions should be easy, nor am I disregarding all the cognitive and psychological research that's been done around effective decision-making. I am, however, advocating for a more heart-centered approach to living, one where you're so in tune with self that you've surrendered to your own truth, one with less self-doubt and more self-trust, one where you can reduce the time dwelling on minute decisions, which can add up and take away from being present with self and others. I personally have been striving to spend less time in my head and more time in the present, aka in my body. My head tends to either be in the past or in the future, and while there are benefits of being reflective and proactive, I also want to make sure I'm optimizing my time in the now. It's not either or, it's yes and. So what is self-trust? You know, what's interesting is that I had such a difficult time finding a concise definition for self-trust. I saw definitions that range from, quote, self-trust is trusting yourself, end quote, which is true, but the academic in me scoffed at that definition. Another source stated, quote, self-trust means consistently staying true to yourself, end quote. Merriam-Webster says self-trust is self-confidence. And that still doesn't sit well with me because that just begs us to then ask what exactly self-confidence is. And then there are other sources that indicate that self-trust is need for self-confidence. So I've decided to combine what I've read and present to you instead of a definition, another question, the affirmative of which would indicate um, the presence of self-trust. And here's the question. Do you believe you are acting in your best interest? Because ultimately, isn't that what trust is about? Let's flip it. Let's apply it to other people. If you trust someone, is it because you believe that they are acting in your best interest? Probably. And so with that definition, ask yourself, if you're ever in a position to question whether or not you trust yourself, ask, am I acting in my best interest? Do I believe that I'm acting in my best interest? Now, while assessing whether or not self-trust is present is important, it is also just as important to understand the source of distrust. And so where did it go wrong? Where did our self-trust start eroding? When did we start trusting others more than ourselves? I can't speak for everyone, but my self-distrust began in childhood. Growing up in an Asian American home with immigrant parents came with a few cultural, we're going to call them charms. Now, my parents did the best that they could. They loved me as they were loved. And I've made peace with my past, which has helped me tremendously on my healing journey. But the fact of the matter is, I grew up in a household where choices were non-existent. I existed in an environment where having preferences was a privilege. Hobbies were cute because they kept me busy and out of the way, but they were never truly encouraged as they were seen as distractions from the ultimate goal. What was the goal? The same goal most immigrant family imposes on their children, to become a doctor, a lawyer, or an engineer. Control was exercised around colleges to attend, 
college courses to take, cars to drive, people to date. In the earlier years, I learned that having a differing opinion was seen as disrespectful. Expressing a preference was seen as ungrateful. Not following the predetermined script was considered foolish. I learned to blindly trust elders who rarely ever provided justification for their decisions outside of, I know better because I'm older. Giving deference to anyone who was ranked higher was a pattern that permeated my interactions well into adulthood. It took me a while to learn how to speak up because it took me a while to give myself permission to think otherwise. In reality, my parents provided a prefix menu for life that was meant to be lived a la carte. It wasn't until I was taken in by a mentor whose first words to me were, and I quote, I expect my team to challenge me, end quote. And that, that, that's when the unraveling began. But after nearly three decades of predetermined choices, I was flooded with freedom, freedom of choice. And that's when the self doubt crept in. And that's when my relationship to self came to the forefront. What did I really want? Because up until then, I was just echoing what someone else wanted. I wasn't used to hearing my voice, let alone honoring it, because I had suppressed it for so long. How did I know I was making the right call if someone else had always been making the call for me? How could I trust that I was making the right choice if I had rarely ever been given the opportunity to? The truth is, I had little self-trust because I was used to outsourcing decision-making to others and never truly gave myself the opportunity to cultivate a loving and trusting relationship with self until recently. It wasn't that I made the inner voice louder per se, it was just that I started lowering everyone else's voice. Yes, there are times when surveying your most trusted advisors might be beneficial, but only you know what's best for you. And that is why strengthening that inner voice and your relationship to that inner voice is so important. It is important because you want to be able to be confident in the decisions that you make. How many times have we spent agonizing over decisions, the decisions we are about to make and the decisions that we have made and the decisions we wish we made? I think at the core, the mental energy spent on dwelling over decisions takes us away from being present with the people that we love, with life that we're living. So I believe harnessing more self-trust allows us to be more at ease with our decisions and allows more time and energy to be spent in the now. And so, I mean, it's great to talk about self-trust, how important it is, where it all went wrong, for me at least. But how is it that we can cultivate more of it? Well, I got three tips for you, three ways that I've help strengthen self-trust. Three ways that I have help cultivate a better relationship with that inner voice. And here are my three ways. The first one, get to know yourself. Just like the beginning stages of dating where you are just trying to feel someone out, you're wondering, what are their likes? What are their dislikes? Do they prefer dinner dates or brunch dates? Coffee versus tea? 
comedies or horror films, country music or house. So much time and energy is spent getting to know someone else. Do the same for yourself. Get curious about your likes. What activities do you partake in that bring you joy? For me, it's taking walks in nature, watching the sunset, curling up with a good book, cooking and baking, discovering new bars and restaurants, massages, dancing. And you know that texting stage, you know, when you're just starting to date someone and the texting is nonstop, you're so curious about their day, you want to share memes, photos of your lunch, something funny you overheard, why don't we take that dialectical approach and apply it inwards? And what I mean by that is take a reflective practice, something that helps you organize your thoughts, ideas, and feelings. For me, I journal. I write about my day. I document about what I'm grateful for. I write about my dreams and aspirations. I catalog my ideas and I catalog my feelings. And so now I want to ask you, why is it that you can spend so much time texting someone new, getting to know them when you're dating and you haven't spent time to journal? You haven't spent time to ask yourself about how your day is going, but you are sitting there hoping and praying that they ask you, hmm. I want you to think about that. I started trusting myself more when I started getting to know myself more. I started trusting myself more because I got curious as to what joy and happiness felt in my body. I got accustomed to feeling good. I trained myself to become receptive to what feeds my soul. So as I'm partaking in things that make me happy, such as cooking, um, getting a massage, taking dance classes, I'm paying attention to how that feels in my body. And so I know that that at its core is a baseline for me to know that mm, this feels good to me. So when I'm making a decision, I can drop into my body, feel it out. Does it feel good? Do I know what good feels like? And that's a point of reference. So now when I have to make a decision, not only do I ask, do I think this is right for me? Think, notice how I say that. Do I think this is right for me? But I also ask, does this feel good for me? Does it feel good for me? Now, the second tip I have for you is show up for yourself. Create a repertoire. When someone fails to follow through, we take note. Do you have a friend that always veils? You know, that one friend who will make plans with you, but for whatever reason, something always comes up the day of and your plans get canceled. You know that they are unlikely to show up and follow through. So eventually you stop trying because you don't trust them to keep their word. Or do you have a friend that is notorious for mm, inflating facts? So much so in such a pattern of doing so that you start mistrusting what they're saying. That's a track record. Well, how many times have you failed to show up for yourself? How many times did you tell yourself the night before that you'd get up and work out and then decide to sleep in? How many times did you say you're going to try tidying up for five minutes a day? And just honestly, honestly, at the end of the day, you were so tired, you didn't make time all week. It's in these micro mishaps where we should be following through the most. It's in these small moments that we begin building a track record of success with ourselves. We are so quick to notice patterns in other people and draw our own conclusions. Now use that to your advantage. 
create a pattern of success with yourself. Know that you can show up for yourself. Show yourself that you can follow through. Now, the last tip I have is on building resiliency. What happens when things don't go as planned? I don't know, but I know I'll figure it out. Part of rehabilitating my self-trust injury, for lack of a better phrase, is shifting my mindset from the need to make the most perfect decision to knowing at my core that I am outcome resilient. What I mean by this is I have the mental quickness to recover quickly. It doesn't mean that I'm not worried. It doesn't mean that I'm not scared, nor nor does it mean that I'm not sad at times, but rather I trust in my ability to adapt and adjust. And here are some tips I've gathered to help build up that resiliency. Take action, no matter how small. This is the idea of moving the needle. This allows us to move past analysis paralysis and Keep in mind, anything is better than nothing. Movement forward is better than remaining stuck. Two, face fears as a hobby. Expose yourself to things that you're scared of. For me, I was scared of heights, so I went paragliding off of a cliff. For me, it was the fear of the unknown, so I signed myself up for social dancing. And for those of you who don't know, um, social salsa dancing uh, has a specific dynamic. You have a follower and a leader. Um, In social salsa dancing, followers are at the mercy of leaders. I don't know what move to execute until the person who is leading cues me. I have no idea. I have to be ready and on my toes, literally, or the balls of my feet, um, to be able to successfully execute the next move. Dancing, for me, has been the most humbling yet rewarding new hobbies. And the third thing to help build resiliency is cultivate forgiveness. Watch how you speak to yourself. You make a mistake, don't berate yourself. It's sickening how we can speak to ourselves. I've had friends call me out on how I talk to myself. Call your friends out. I have also heard my friends call themselves idiots for minor mistakes. Stop. Don't go down that road. Grant yourself grace. Pull yourself out of your pity party and practice some compassion. Because also, keep this in mind, we can only be kind to others if we are kind to ourselves. The extent and depth of our love for others can only be as deep as our love for ourselves. All right, so let's recap. You can build more self-trust by one, getting to know yourself and what actually brings you to joy. Two, create and maintain a track record of showing up for yourself and staying true to yourself. And three, build up your resilience tank. So that wraps our episode up for today. I hope you find it within yourself to cultivate more self-trust. Perhaps you'll even want to explore the source of your lack of self-trust. In any case, I hope this episode serves your mind and soul. If you like what you heard, please share this episode with loved ones and on your social media platforms. And don't forget to tag at level underscore 33 spelled out. Until next time, stay curious, stay kind.